A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Rings of Power Lorecast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to Tolkien's world of Middle-earth. I'm David. I'm John. This is our Lorecast on the Rings of Power, Season 1, Episodes 1 and 2, Shadow of the Past and Adrift. In this episode, we have three segments, a discussion of the Trees of Valinor, which we saw in the prologue of Episode 1, a deep dive into the life of Finrod, Galadriel's brother, and a brief listener feedback segment. Before we get started, here's a quick reminder that you can send feedback to secondage at baldmove.com, and we'll get to those questions on the next episode. If you want to talk Tolkien with us sooner, join us on the Bald Move Discord, link in the description, and at baldmove.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our Firehose feed, The Lorehounds, to get all our content about the Rings of Power and other shows this fall, like The White Lotus and The Wheel of Time. And please, if you have a moment, rate and review our podcast to help other people find it. All right, John, let's get started with a discussion of the Trees of Valinor. We both watched episodes one and two last night, which were really breathtaking in a lot of ways. And such rich content and amazing production design and and post-production. And one of the things that we saw when we had the opener for episode one was some information about some trees. So let's get into the trees of Valinor. It's all about the trees. You know me. It's all about the trees. All right. So I'm going to back up even before the trees. It's a very exciting time here. So at the beginning, we have a sort of opening of Genesis. Arda is totally dark. There's nothing to light the way for the Valar. So they work together and make two lamps. Aule forges the lamp. We heard his name in the episode. That really surprised me to hear Aule's name as well. I know they're going deep, so so are we. Buckle up, folks. (laughs) Okay, so Aule made the lamps. Varda, who's another one of the Valar who's in charge of stars and light, she fills the lamps so that they can create Mm -hmm. light. Then Manwe, the king of the Valar, hallows them and makes them holy, blessed, and makes them this great light for the elves. So you can see how they're sort of a more perfect light Okay, that was there even before the trees. Nice. So one was Iluin, which was set in the north, and Ormal was set in the south. So Arda's in this perpetual daylight cycle. Okay, so so we have these these lamps that are giving this perfect light, and so where were the where were the Valar at this point? Like, it was the was the shape of the of the world different, like in terms of the continents and the oceans and whatnot. So the continents were all in relatively the same place, but the Valar are stationed more in the Middle Earth area in an isle called Almerin. Mm-hmm. 
So the Valar were there because this is where the light met. This is where the south and the north light met, and there was an extra holiness and an extra brightness in this world. And at this point, there are no elves, there are no dwarves, there are no Harfoots, nothing. Just the Valar. Well, there's always Harfoots, if you ask Bezos. (laughs) But no, there's only the Valar, the Maiar, any of the other Aenor that settled Arda in Middle-earth. Okay. But we got Melkor, Morgoth. We can call him Morgoth, even though that's a little anachronistic for this time. But just for consistency with the show, we might want to go with Morgoth. That's how they did refer to him in the opening, though, too. So it might be easier just to stick with Morgoth from a, a yeah. show co- consistency standpoint. Yeah, I agree. So Feanor is the one who eventually named Melkor Morgoth. But just to keep okay. with the show, we'll keep it Morgoth. Sounds good. Okay, so Morgoth is upset because he's the guy who's all obsessed with discord and evil. And so he's going to strike down those lamps and create a darkness upon the world. A flame grows across the world and uh, there's never a perfect state anymore. So the Valar have to flee to the west towards Ammon. Okay, and that is Ammon is what we also know is the Undying Lands or is that come later or is, are, are those synonymous yeah it's synonymous so valinor is the city in ammon oh, okay and then later there's more subdivisions like eldamar got it. that's where the elves live but for now we just have valinor on ammon and um just for the sake of of being nice we might have done this earlier but obviously spoiler warnings if you haven't seen episodes one and two you should really be careful about listening to this podcast and i'm going to refer to something so when we see galadriel uh on the boat with her companions and they're they're sailing across the ocean there they're pointed towards amon Right, yes. They're going okay. towards Ammon. They're going towards Valinor. They're using Valinor synonymously with Ammon, but really Again, mm-hmm. you'd have uh, Galadriel and the other elves going towards Tyrion, which is part of Eldamar, where the okay. elves live in Ammon. Now, just to be clear, going forward in this podcast, differentiating it from the Second Age podcast, where we were going all the way through that timeline that could appear in the show, we're not going to reference anything that could happen further in history in the show than where we're at now. But we will reference things in the First Age, all the backstory, etc. So we're basically adopting the Hot D, the House of the Dragon policy that Jim and Aaron use. Okay. The only thing that could possibly be spoiled for future show episodes is maybe a flashback. Okay, got it. So we can we'll talk about the shows, but we're going to be careful about some of the ending of the second age stuff. Just like with uh House of the Dragon, wh- what's the book that uh Martin wrote the big encyclopedia? Yeah, Fire and Blood. Awesome. Okay, cool. All right, so with that out of the way, um, what happens after Morgoth um, has a little tantrum and, and uh, throws the crashes the lights? Yeah, so the whole planet is dark now, and that's a huge issue because you've got the Valar and the Maiar living here. We know that the children of Iluvatar, which are the elves and men, are coming at some point. So we need to create new light. So what happens is that Yavanna, who is the Vala, who is in charge of nature and growth, etc., creates these two trees called Telperion and Laurelin, which create a holy light. Mm. And we see that when um, when we see Finrond uh, sort of crest the hill of that city and we see the two trees back there. I think that that's one of the most beautiful shots we've seen in the show so far. Yes. So what I did was I went into the Silmarillion and I pulled out a quote that I think might be an inspiration. Okay, cool. Are you going to read it to us? Would you like to do the honors? Uh, I can. Uh, Sure. Um, The one had leaves of dark green that beneath were as shining silver, and from each of his countless flowers a dew of silver light was ever falling, and the earth beneath was dappled with the shadows of his fluttering leaves. The other bore leaves of a young green like the new opening beech. Their edges were of glittering gold. Flowers swung upon her branches in clusters of yellow flame, formed each to a glowing horn that spilled a golden rain upon the ground. Wow, that's a that's a mouthful to read. <laughs> it is, but it's super beautiful writing, and I think that you can mm. see that Tolkien wanted to be a poet. Yes, originally. 
So I'm just glad that we had this great inspiration for these shots that we got in the show of Tyrion and Valinor and the two trees right up there in the background. Yeah, they they are really like I really felt that the production, the post-production folks nailed this and and a lot of stuff in the show of just giving giving us that atmospheric feeling. So you really feel like you're in a fantasy setting and and you really feel this gentleness of this light that's coming from these these trees so yeah absolutely spot on yeah so as you can see in that passage there's sort of a sunny one there's a moonish one Mm -hmm. and that creates the first day night cycle in arda that creates that cadence of time that you didn't really see with the lamps because it was always daytime it's really interesting i don't know that we've ever really seen uh, another uh world creator do that kind of structure of of how the world works. So it's really interesting. It's a very unique design, if you will, in fantasy. Yeah, I've never seen anyone else use lighting trees. <laughs> but I mean, you can see how much Tolkien loves nature. We discussed that yeah. uh, in the Second Age yeah. podcast. He used to go into the forest and just stare at trees. Uh, he loved trees. He admired them. He lamented them being gone and so did the elves yeah we've got different elves in different places in middle earth at this stage yeah and i will link the elf chart that i made during our elf episode of the second age okay cool nice so yeah that's how we divide elves basically is who saw the light who didn't who tried to go see it and failed who didn't try to see it at all who saw it and stayed who left okay So that's how we get all these political subdivisions of elves that create a more complex society. Can I can I just ask a quick clarification question? The the elves were across the sea on the other continent from the trees. Yeah, so they were in Middle Earth. Uh, So if you go back to Chapter Three of the Second Age, you'll hear us talk Uh about how they started in Middle Earth, how they were invited to go to Valinor, how they were divided by their success or non-success in that journey. So that's worth a listen. So when you see Galadriel going across the sea towards Valinor, that's a journey that her people have made before. Interesting. And I think maybe one of the the important takeaways here, it's not so much remembering which elves are which, but the fact that the elves... As a race and a culture, uh, there are multiple cultures among the elves, and they have different point of views and some different motivations. So elves are not sort of homogeneous in, in thought and action. They, they have division and different point of views uh, amongst them. And a lot of it has to do, too, with who saw the trees and who didn't. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And you can see even the class undertones in these societies. Mm. I mean, the Noldor have these big kingdoms we've seen, like Linden and Oregion, <laughs> and they're snooty. Right. You know, Celebrimbor, like, yes, we'll do a great work at this time. <laughs> so Gilgalad, super snooty, you know. Okay. So compare that right, right. with Arendir, who is sort of a lower class elf. He's a sylvan yes. elf. His people never saw the light. And you can see how, even right. though he can lord over the humans a little bit, if he were to come up against Elrond and Galadriel or Gilgalad, he would be sort of treated as a lower social class, at least at this point in Elvish history. Interesting. So this is uh, Tolkien's world experience, his lived as lived world experience, again, bleeding through into the constructed world of Middle-earth. Yeah, so, you know, the elves that saw the light, which are the Vanyar, the Noldor, some of the Teleri, uh, which don't worry about all those words. It's more, did they see the light? Did they not see the light? They do have a little bit more wisdom, holiness, I guess a little bit of je ne sais quoi in their elvish nature. Okay. <laughs> What's Quenya for je ne sais quoi? It's whatever you want it to be, because I don't know. Yeah. So it's not totally in their heads. They do have a little bit of enhancement. Mm -hmm. But they're super snooty about it. Like, they're just kind of jerks sometimes. Right. (laughs) Fair enough. So, um, now these, uh, we we hear reference to something called the the Silmarils. What's up with those? Silmarils. Silmarils. Not Simmarils. It's Silmarils. 
That's right. Yeah, so that's where the Silmarillion gets its name. Uh-huh, right. And it's a very exciting time because we heard that name referenced by Kella Brimbor, who's yes. saying, you know, this is the hammer that forged the Silmarillion. That blew my mind. Oh, it was awesome. That, that whole scene blew my mind that they went there with that. I know. They really did go deep into the first stage, and it pleasantly surprised me. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit there, too. Okay. And don't worry, this is related to the tree, so we're not right. far off. So Feanor is the guy who forged mm-hmm. the Silmarils. He's the grandfather of Celebrimbor. So the Silmarils are the three greatest jewels of all time that Feanor created out of the light of the two trees that we discussed that you saw in that prologue. And elves have sort of a limited capacity to use their hroa, their body energy, to do these great works. So Feanor used right, his... Right, kind of like a candle. Right. right. So Feanor used his hroa uh, to create the three Silmarils. And this is true of even the Valar, like Yavanna can't make new trees if they go away. So the biggest thing with the trees now is that Morgoth, with the help of Ungoliant, which is a giant crazy spider, which is an ancestor of, remember Shelob? Oh, yeah. Uh, the great totally. spider from yep. the Lord of the Rings. So this is her ancestor, obsessed with consumption. And she and Morgoth team up to destroy the trees. Because they're just jealous of the beauty. Well, Morgoth is super jealous of everything that the Valar do, but Ungoliant is more obsessed with consumption. Okay. She's just always wanting to consume more and better things. She ends up dying by consuming herself. So, clarification, is she a spider? So, it's unclear what her actual being status is. But she is spider-shaped and probably one of the Maiar. It seems like, even though it's a little bit unclear, she has some kind of holy capability because she can drink this light from the trees and be fine. Whoa. So when Morgoth is striking down these trees and Golian is just lapping up this light, which is why you saw in the show this sort of blackness creeping up the trunks of the trees. And so you see that the trees just wither and die from this because there's no more light in them. Wow. Gosh, wouldn't that be a, a something to say? I don't know that we didn't want a whole movie out of or a series out of this, but boy, it would be fun to see that visualized someday. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that we didn't get some kind of spider shape, but that might be a rights issue. Right, because they gave us the the shadow of Morgoth through the cloudscape there, um, which was very cool as well. Yeah, that was cool, but I'm glad that they didn't try to do like the full Morgoth getup. Because yes. I think that if they did that and you had this fully corporeal Morgoth and not just a hint of him, that would sort of undercut Sauron as the main villain of the series. It was, uh, yeah, and I, I bet they wrestled with this uh, with the Star Wars when they brought out the Empire or the Emperor. You know, we've had Darth Vader, and then suddenly we, you know, how do you, you can't outclass him? So they went smaller, which I thought probably is a a good decision. But yeah, like. If you if you ramp it up, how much further do you have to ramp up to show us Morgoth? Right, exactly. So they've destroyed the trees, right? Okay, yeah. So like I said, Yavanna can't make the trees twice. She is limited as far as creation goes in this creation. She's spent. And so, so is Feanor, but Feanor still has the Silmarils at this point. Okay. So the Valar go to Feanor and say, look... Yavanna says that she can rekindle these trees, that she can bring some life back to them with the help of the light in the Silmarils. But Feanor looks at them and he is like, no, I made these and I can't make them again. So Feanor says no. (laughs) Yeah, he says no. They're mine. I'm going to possess them. They are my crown jewels. And remember that in Tolkien, sort of the desire to create with the intent to hoard and to possess and to keep around is something that's frowned upon in Tolkien. So... What ha- so so Morgoth steals these, and I'm sure there's a whole great story in there if if one were to to read the Silmarillion. Um, now, what happens? The, is the world dark? So as they're despairing in the dark of Valinor, uh, the trees, Lorelin and Telperion, in their dying state, sort of spurt out one fruit each. <laughs> right, and so. 
the Valar take these and launch them into the sky and set them in motion and they become the sun and the moon and set the same cycle. This is the hand of uh, Eru? Could be, yeah. I think that's a good read of it. Okay. You know, that's not explicitly said, but that's always a good bet in Tolkien, you know? Right. <laughs> God did it. O- OG Deus Ex Machina, right? Okay, so we went from lamps to trees to gems after the trees were gone, but then the deadish trees were able to spit out a sun and the moon at sort of at the last last uh, gasp of their lives. Right, exactly. So that's where we got Wild. to the point where we have a sun and moon at some point in the first age. Okay. So uh, it, would it be instructive then if we talk quickly about the, the Noldor and the Oath and Galadriel's involvement with this? I think that's actually a good transition point to go to Finrod because that touches on the Oath too. Cool. Okay, so we'll start on that after this break. So Finrod Feligand mm-hmm. is his honorific. Finrod is the elder brother of Galadriel. Okay. He is the son of Finarfin. Say that three times fast. I think we have a great tweet about this. If you go back to our at Lorehounds. Oh, yeah, uh, that's at the a Lorehounds, good one. Uh, we, we use one of those memes that are out there. And, uh, uh, John, you did a great job of writing that out perfectly. So uh, <laughs> if you want to laugh, go check out our, our, uh, our Twitter page. Anyway, we so. Finarfin. Okay, so Finarfin is the brother of Feanor, the maker of the Silmarils. Okay. So that makes Galadriel and Finrod the niece and nephew of Feanor. Okay. Feanor made the Silmarils. Right, so Galadriel and Finrod's uncle Feanor made the Silmarils. Got it. Okay. So Feanor is mad at Morgoth, obviously. He stole the Silmarils. He killed his father. And so he wants vengeance on him. But he's also mad at the Valar for keeping him from that vengeance. And so he insists on the other Noldor taking an oath of vengeance against Morgoth. And if you go back to the elf episode we did in the Second Age, you'll hear a riveting rendition of this oath performed by David. (laughs) But yeah, it's a really bad oath. He says that we won't let Valar stand in our way. We will take Silmarils back from whoever has them. It ends up basically being a curse on the Noldor. Since I read that on air, does that mean that I'm now <laughs> bound to go find the Silmarils? I think you are. I mean, they're oh, a little shit. bit lost right now, but you never know. You can go okay. out and find a Silmaril. I don't know if my wife is going to be too happy about me going on a blood uh, quest. But anyway, uh, so she'll understand. We've got uh, we've got uh, the oath here. We've got the oath and most of the Noldor take it. At least the seven sons of Feanor take it. A lot of the other Noldor take it. Some of them don't, though. Mm -hmm. So Finrod and Galadriel are both part of the group that do not take the oath. And they do this largely because they don't like Feanor. They don't trust him. Nobody really likes Feanor. There's a joke online, Feanor did nothing wrong. But other than that, nobody really likes Feanor. I mean, he asked for a lock of Galadriel's hair. Yeah. Uh, Super creepy. Super creepy. So a lot of people don't like Feanor. A lot of people have their Feanor issues. Right. Okay. So Finrod and Galadriel both end up going to Middle-earth by taking the Helcaroxe. That's the ice bridge, the Bering Strait analog that we talked about in the Elf episode. And um, mm-hmm. and so really, Galadriel is going there because she wants to forge a destiny of her own, because okay. she wants to have lands of her own. Uh, Finrod would love to stay in Valinor. He's even in love with a, a Vanyar woman there. And he also doesn't want to cede the leadership to Feanor. He doesn't want to see Feanor representing the Noldor over there and leading the Noldor into destruction. He thinks that he's up to no good. He was. And uh, Fenrod doesn't want to allow that to go unchecked. Uh Uh-huh. So Feanor made a pretty bloody journey to Middle-earth. I mean, he participated in the first kinslaying, the first killing of elf by elf. He made those oaths that were really bad. 
He stole ships from other elves, and he made his way to Middle-earth on sort of a path of vengeance. And because of this, the doom of Mandos is pronounced. The doom of Mandos. Now, remember, Mandos is that fate valor. Uh-huh. One of the Valar who's in charge okay. of sort of sending people to the afterlife, of sort of declaring fate. Doom is more of a synonym of fate than a negative connotation in Tolkien. He was really into the old meanings of words. And so this leads to sort of what we call the ban. Most of them are not welcome back. So they close the books on them. Yeah, so Galadriel and Finrod both went on their own, so they didn't kill anybody. Okay. They didn't take any oaths. Okay. But they are still subject to the ban as part of the Noldor who went to Middle-earth against the will of the Valar. Interesting, because there's a de- is, would there be a deviation then in the sh- what we saw in the shows last night? I would say so. That was definitely a break in canon. I mean, I don't think that Gilgalad would really have the authority to send elves back to Valinor. For that, you need the leave of the Valar. So while it bothered me a little bit, I'm willing to forgive it for the sake of a character arc. Because otherwise, it's a it, that would be a, a pretty difficult concept to translate, given you know the the, the Valinor and and all of this kind of stuff, as opposed to just saying, "Hey, there's this uh, quasi holy place across the ocean that some of us get to go to sometimes, and it's very special." Um, and trying to explain all this other stuff, I think for television might be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, and it's a little bit more complicated than that because Tolkien's writings are inconsistent. That's a really good point, too. Yeah, yeah, in some versions of the writing, Galadriel is subject to the ban, and some she's not. She okay. chooses to stay instead. This is a point where I think we can just interject in here quickly, too, that there's a lot of Tolkien's writing which is not settled. So when we hear people arguing against what's canon and what's not and purity and all these kinds of things, there's a lot of disingenuity in dis- – dis- I can't say it um, – there's a lot Bad of not faith. genuine article, <laughs> arguments there because even to some degree, some of what Tolkien wrote, he contradicted himself because he was still working stuff out as he was going. No one disagrees with J.R.R. Tolkien more than J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> Boom. There you go. I love it. <laughs> okay. So Finrod and Galadriel got to Middle Earth here. If okay. you've gotten lost by now, all you need to know is that they got to Middle Earth. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so Finrod is going around being a cool warrior. He's fighting in all these battles. I do think that the show deviated from canon a little bit by uh, making Finrod this hunter of Sauron, where really he was a lot more focused on Sauron's boss, which is Morgoth the Big Bad. Right. But you know what? We're trying to get the audience focused on this new villain, Sauron, so I think that's a reasonable change for the show. Right. Yeah, again, compression for the show. Right, and that's fine. Let's go with it. Uh, So Finrod finds a set of caves that are vast and amazing, Mm -hmm. and he enlists the help of the dwarves to turn these caves into this new kingdom called Nargothrond, and he becomes king of it. Nargothrond. I love that. Nargothrond. Wow. So he earns the title Feligand from the dwarves, Mm -hmm. and this means maker of caves. (laughs) And you can imagine that Gimli, and they call it a mine, sure. would love to call this guy Feligan. That's a great honorific. Okay. So pretty dude's got stature. He's been kicking ass and, and chewing bubblegum uh, and uh, friending dwarves and, and doing all kinds of stuff. So he's like a really big, a big deal and, and somebody as a sibling really to look up to. All right. But Finrod's not done yet. Okay. He's not just befriending dwarves. He's also befriending men because he's the first elf that meets the men coming out of the east. Oh, that's cool. So he befriends Beor the Old. <laughs> okay. Beor the Old. Not that important. Let it go out your brain. Uh-huh. So Finrod fights alongside men in the Dagor Bragalach, which is the Battle of Sudden Flame. Do you think that's what we saw on the show? I think it is, because Finrod was looking pretty desperate there, wasn't he? Yes. They were getting their asses handed to them. (laughs) Yeah, so this is actually sort of the beginning of Finrod's downfall. Okay. Because in this battle, he gets surrounded by orcs and almost dies, but is saved by Barahir. Uh That's a man. Uh Uh, He's a descendant of Beor the Old, 
And because he's so grateful toward Barahir, and he owes him sort of a blood debt, so he makes an oath to aid him. Quick, um, maybe, I haven't done my uh, second watch yet, but I distinctly remember during that battle scene, there was an orc that got an arrow uh, through its head, and I wonder if they're just subtly hinting to that, that, you know, he's he turns around to, to, to face another enemy, and then that enemy goes down, and I wonder if that's uh, just a little nod. Yeah, that could be, and I think we might get more of this story as we go through. I mean, we know that the Tolkien estate is sort of letting Amazon go on a case-by-case basis into first-aid Silmarillion things. Yes. And so they might have enough that they feel like they can portray Finrod accurately. It'll be interesting, too, going seasons going forward to see if we'll get more first-age story in sort of these cold opens um, uh, to uh, and epilogue sort of chapters in the story. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope that there's more cold opens with first-age stuff. I think that's the way to do it. Totally. Yeah, and it's a it's a well well established uh, mechanism. Uh, I mean, if we look at uh, uh, Better Call Saul and the whole Gene storyline, and and uh, obviously even just going back to Jackson's movies and in the uh, the opening there. So yeah, very cool. If they they do, we can we can hope. Absolutely. Okay, so back on track. All right, we're almost done with Finrod. Okay, I promise. <laughs> so Finrod is just hanging out in Nargothrond, ruling for a while. He survived that battle. The Dagor Bragalak. Great fun word to say. Uh, It's two words. Great fun phrase to say. So Vinrod's hanging out. He's ruling Nargothrond. He's living the life. And uh, all of a sudden, he gets a visitor named Beren. Mm -hmm. And you will recognize that from Beren and Luthien. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. The first elf-human love story. Yeah, that's that's the big one. That's the big elf human love story. Doesn't Arondir or even mention that in I think the second episode when he's talking to uh, Bronwyn? Yeah, because there's only or does two she mention other... it to him? Somebody, somebody, somebody one of them mentioned it. Yeah, uh, I think it's, I think an elf mentioned it to him. Like, oh, there's yeah. only been two other times, right, right? In elf history, you had an elf and a human, and they and you've never had a male elf and a female human. Okay. Uh, and, then, and then later we'll have the third one with Ar- Ar- Arwen and Aragorn. Correct. But, yeah. you know, obviously this is before that. Right. Okay. So anyway, so Baron, Baron and Luthien. Baron comes to Finrod and says, hey, uh, I promised Thingol, this other elf king, doesn't matter, uh, that I would get a Silmaril for him. <laughs> and so I need to go to the Dark Lord and get a Silmaril. Okay. You in? <laughs> and Finrod was like, um, that sounds like a wild plan, man. I don't think I could do that. And he's like, well, my dad kind of helped you out back in the day. You uh, know, his, his, right. so Baron is Barahir's son. Uh-huh. And Barahir had saved Finrod's life. And so Baron is sort of calling in that debt. He's, he's got a blood he says, debt. You know, yeah. yeah. So, so Finrod's like, oh, all right. All right. All right. We'll do it. It's a good cause anyway. We're getting the Silmarils away from Morgoth. That's always been a good thing to do. Right. And, uh, but Finrod is sort of betrayed a little bit. It's low level treason, but it's still treason. I, I remember on the House of the Dragon <laughs> podcast, Aaron and, and Jim are doing the, on what scale, what level of treason out of one to 10 is this treason? I think this is, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to rate this one a six. Okay. Perfect. Uh, okay. So two of the other Noldor who are living with Finrod in Nargothrond right now. Kurafin and Celeborn sort of betray him, uh-huh. and they prevent most of Nargothrond from helping Finrod. They convince them, you know, the oath is not going to let us do this. Uh, you know, we, we we really can't do this. And uh, so Finrod goes with just ten soldiers and Baron. So there's twelve of them total uh-huh. uh, to go recover one of the Silmarils. Okay, little special forces operation here. Yeah, meanwhile, they're going into armies and armies of orcs, <laughs> and one of the Valar, and one of the Maiar, and Balrogs, and, and it's, okay. it's, it's not a good situation for 12 people to walk into. Right. So anyway, so Finrod uses some elvish magic, which, you know, soft magic system, we don't know how it works, uh, to, to sort of make them look like orcs as they're walking in. Okay, but which Sam and Frodo did uh, as well, didn't they? Yeah, well, they they did that just with like clothes, right. you know, cosplaying. Yep. Uh, but <laughs> uh, but Finrod Finrod's got a little a little magic here. 
and so Finrod leads them in, and unfortunately, they're captured by Sauron. Okay. Sauron uh, ends up setting his werewolves on Finrod, even though they battled. And uh, Finrod dies fighting Sauron. And that's why he's got those wolf marks. He was killed by a werewolf. He's got those scratches. Right. We definitely see that on his body when Galadriel is uh, over him and looking at him. And then a show addition is adding the mark of Sauron on him. So they've they've had to sort of create a brand identity for Sauron uh, in the show so that we can— Oh, it's all about marketing. Yes, it absolutely is. as Amazon has plainly demonstrated with the amount of marketing that we got to the lead up of this, but Bezos uh, is eating McDonald's. Oh he yeah, I saw that spent tweet. <laughs> his whole wallet on this show. Wild. So yeah, so we get the we, in the show we get the little mark of Sauron, but uh, definitely when we see the full shot there, we can see some big rake marks uh, across his body that sort of again nod to um, his death by the werewolves. Right. Exactly. So that's most of his, that. Well, that's his whole life up to his death. Uh, we have a little bit of an epilogue for him, which is nice, happy. Okay. All right. So Finrod is later reincarnated, which is very rare. Okay. Um, he's later reincarnated by the Valar because of his good deeds. Uh-huh. And he's allowed to live in peace in Valinor with his love, Amir, uh, Amarie. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You have to pronounce that right. Yeah. Amarie is one of the Vanyar, so she refused to go back with the Noldor. She didn't want to come. And they were in love, but she just, you know, she's like, I have to stay with my people, the Vanyar. Okay. Got so it. he's with his love. He's with his father, Finarfin, who never really made it all the way to Middle-earth, uh, back to Middle-earth, rather. And uh, so he's he's happy now. But Got So it. that also lends a little bit of tragedy to Galadriel not going to Valinor when it's offered uh-huh. because Ooh. her brother's there and her father, like like a lot of her family's there. So I think this is a good uh, point, too, to where um, they really set up Galadriel here as our prime mover in this story, at least for this season. Um, and by um, uh, setting her up in this sort of revenge stroke fight against evil story. She saw her older brother who she looked up to. I mean, then they compressed all of that into just a few minutes. They really established their relationship uh, and um, uh, Galadriel's primary motivation and, and singular focus uh, in, a, in a really short time by setting up uh, her older brother being this champion fighting against evil and now that's her mission. And uh, I thought that was a, a very nicely, deftly done um, twist. Again, these are hard things to do in to translate these complex storylines into a visual format serialized as a television show. Absolutely. I think that they did a great job setting up Galadriel. I think that this relationship with Finrod was a great way to frame her. Even if they did take a few liberties with the of plot, course. I think that's fine. Yeah, they, they have to. Um, and so we'll see how far this uh, fuels Galadriel's, like how far she, you know, how, how far she willing to go. And as we can see, she forsook the invitation to go to the Undying Lands to see her brother and her father, conceivably, right? You know, if uh, if if some of that were were true in the show, that's pretty. And, and for book readers and lore lore students, like that is a an interesting cut, uh, a very deep cut mm-hmm. there. That if she knew that her family was on the other side of this veil, to to decline that, that's that's some weighty stuff. Absolutely, um, I I think that. It, it is a super heavy storyline, Galadriel, but I think it's very moving. Yeah. I, I, I do have one listener question okay, to season it. this episode with. Cool. A little hint of feedback. So if you want to give us feedback, we'll get it to it on the next episode. Uh, you can email secondageatbaldmove.com for us, or you can email rop at baldmove.com to get to Jim and Aaron. Perfect. All right. So Searcher73 on Discord asks... Only got one episode in last night, but one thing that struck me as a little odd is Gilgalad offering up Valinor like a prize, which seems to run counter to the idea that all elves live in Middle-earth by choice. Why don't they all go if it's sought after and within its power, and within his power to grant? Okay, good question. Really good question. We sort of talked about that before with the ban, so there, there was an issue with 
the the elves going to Middle Earth at all. Uh huh. With the Noldor going back to Middle Earth, so I don't think that Gilgalad actually had the authority to send anyone there. That's just a show creation. I do think that goes a little bit uh, against canon. Okay. But um, I, I I'd say that Galadriel, at least right now wants to have a realm she wants to have she wants to rule a realm of her own she wants to at least solve this problem of sauron and there are these elvish havens still there are good places to live for elves they're not so much fading yet at at the time of the second age in the third age they are fading a lot faster right because of the rise of sauron because of just the time that they've spent in middle earth right uh, and and because basically magic is is sort of fading from the world right so that that's really the difference here. Right now we're seeing elf civilizations not at the height of, of their glory, because that's the first age. Uh, but we're seeing them at a sort of medium height. And I think with, um, uh, pardon me for blanking the name, the, the guy who's going to forge the rings. Kilibrimbor. Kilibrimbor wants to take them to heights yet again. And that's going to be a great maybe apex for our storyline here is the forging. of I mean, obviously, this is the rings of power. Uh, so where are the rings? Well, we're going to see them forged in this uh, series. And um, that is really his like he said in, in that scene with Elrond, like he wants to create even greater things. Bum, 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 which we know is a trap, right? Because if you're creating to possess, that's going to be a downfall for you in, in this world. Um, but yeah, so we're going to see elves maybe climb even a little bit higher. And once they create an alliance with some dwarves, some uh, economic um, uh, trade here with some mithril, which we have in the offing. Yep. I, I think that we're going to see some interesting elvish politics here and dwarvish politics even. Yeah. Which is going to be uh, so I, I think that we're, uh, you know, obviously we've been talking about how the show has sort of a unique identity compared to the House of the Dragon Game of Thrones universe. Yeah. Um, I, I think that we're seeing a little bit more political maneuvering than you would expect in a Lord of the Rings show in mm. general. Right. Uh, but I but I do like it. I mean, there are a lot of politics in the first age and the second age, especially. So I'm, I'm glad that they're doing that and not trying to just make it into Lord of the Rings, the show. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it's it's a, a a different set of nuanced politics, whereas with House of the Dragon, we're seeing raw power plays here to to cap you know to sit on the throne. Um, we're here where we've got a lot more nuanced things happening. Yeah, and I think you know in the Lord of the Rings movies they do downplay the politics a little bit just to make it a little bit more actiony. But in general, I think that the Third Age there's just fewer elves. Uh-huh. And, and less diversity in the elves because most of the Noldor right. have gone back already. Right. And so you're just you just have less politicking. Great. I have one more thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. Drop it on us. Now I said this in the instant take, but in case you, you wanted to skip right past this, get to Jim and Aaron, totally get it. Uh here's an important lore bit from the show. So the stranger, the guy who yes. fell down in the meteor, yes, uh, he was not very vocal in these episodes, but he oh, did right. say a couple words. Yes, yes. And those words were Urumana. Urumana. Now, it was a little bit shady, shady, shaky, because the subtitles, I have the subtitles on, they, they said mana without an accent on the A. Now, this is super lore wonky, so... <laughs> go, go for it. Go for it's it. okay. It's okay. You can turn us off now, but but we'd love to have you. <laughs> and uh, so the mana in Quenya, which is an elvish language that's used primarily in Valinor and Eldamar, the West at this point, uh, that mana means either blessed or it means what is. So with with the accent, it's blessed. Without the accent, it's what is. And oh, with, with the subtitles, gosh. it's uh, it's no accent. But I feel like it makes more sense as blessed because uru means heat or conjugated. It can be fire. So blessed fire, sacred fire. John, you're really earning the the you're you're earning the the lorehound big bucks here. It's all right. You know what? We we we've got it. I've got to bet my internet points because I forgot to. Uh, gloat about one of my predictions from the second age last night which i did remember what it was it was that galadriel is probably sailing to valinor and not uh Uh, and she gets shipwrecked and i said that 
And I was right. Okay. I want credit. Cashing here's in my internet, internet points. points. Here, here they are. Okay, so back to my language thing. Back to my philology. Philology. Uh, so we've got blessed fire, secret flame. I mean, sacred, <laughs> sacred fire. Is this? Is this? I am a servant of the secret flame from uh, from Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. Man, I just got some chills. Uh, yeah, because that 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 line that uh, that he um, Ian McKellen. Yeah, uh, that I can hear that in my head. Um, so yeah, and then when he whispers to the fireflies, right? A very Gandalfian stuff. So Gandalf, we talked about this in uh, chapter six of the Second Age. At the end of the Lord of the it, during the Lord of the Rings, he's got a ring, right? He's yes. got he's got the fire ring, right? So it could be that he's just not that powerful without the ring. Okay, maybe he he took he commandeered the fireflies, but he couldn't do much of it. If if that is Gandalf, I'm just playing into this theory, which I don't okay, even like. Right. That it's just Gandalf. playing with the theory. Yeah, fair enough. Right. Okay. Uh, I, I want it to be a blue wizard. I think it still could be a blue wizard. I know you like Radagast. Uh, you know, it's just kind of an obvious choice given this sort of nature stuff that he's dealing with and and his sort of physical appearance. But I, I don't know that I'm wagering any full points on, on that. All right. So as far as this Quenya goes, here's what we do now. He spoke in Quenya, which means he probably came from the West. He's probably not Sauron. He's probably one of the good guys. Okay. Uh, but he is a little confused. We don't know. But but think about this, too. When Gandalf woke up as Gandalf the White, and he's talking to Aragorn and uh, and Legolas and Gimli, and they say, hey, Gandalf, what's up? He goes, Gandalf, yes, I've, I've used that name before, I think. Yeah. So he's a little disoriented, too. So right. maybe that's just the thing. When you come as one of the Astari and uh-huh. you wake up, you're a little like, oh, what is this place? I'd probably be a little disoriented, too, if I was uh, shot across the <laughs> surface <laughs> of the planet and impacted in a, in a hot crater. <laughs> yeah, totally. Fire. So. Totally. Uh, so so we, know, we know they're speaking Quenya. We know he's speaking Quenya. What we don't know is if he said, blessed fire, blessed heat, or did he say, what is this heat? What is this fire? So that could be like, man, I was just shot at, into a meteor. That this is crazy. What's this heat? That's a really interesting thing, just on the basis of an accent or not, that the word could twist either way. So that's a pretty deep cut. Yep. So you know, lore hounds are bringing it to you. Bring it. We're we're serving up hot. I hope so. And yep. uh, thank you for being with me here today, David, for all these hot takes. Yeah, <laughs> my pleasure. Um, so I think that'll uh, wrap us for our first lore cast. Uh, for season one, episodes one and two of uh, Amazon's The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Um, Amazing to be here uh, to enjoy this television show and to talk about it with you. What, um, just to recap again, what's going to be the basic pattern for publications for Bald Move for covering this show? Okay, so every week you're going to get three podcasts at least. You're going nice. to get on Fridays after the show. The day after the show, you're going to get a full breakdown of Jim and Aaron's coverage. They're going to go scene by scene. You know, the normal bald move treatment, if you're used to the bald move network, they go scene by scene. They talk about cinematography. They talk about production design, writing, characterization, all that kind of general TV stuff. Awesome. Then on Mondays, you're going to get us, the Lorehounds, with the Rings of Power lore cast. And we're going to do what we did today and have a breakdown deep on uh, something or a few things that we saw in the episode. And so we're going to sort of go a layer deeper. We're not going to talk scene by scene. We're going to reference the show, but we're going to give you more book information. Right. And that's that's a real uh, Lorehounds uh, value add is, is that we're going to be providing that extra context. Right. So don't worry. You're not going to hear a repeat of Jim and Aaron's coverage. You're right. just yeah. going to hear brand new stuff that's going to hopefully add to your experience. Cool. And then we've got, what's the third podcast? So Wednesdays, you're going to get a feedback podcast. Now, Jim and Aaron are doing the main part of that. However, on some weeks, we're going to have a similar thing to, if you're listening to House of the Dragon, they're doing the Maester's Corner, where Anthony from Double Dragon goes on and uh, sort of talks deep lore with Aaron. We're going to do a similar thing on this one. I'm going to hop on some days uh, and answer deep lore questions on Jim and Aaron's feedback cast. 
Okay, cool. So to send feedback to Jim and Aaron, that's going to be rop at baldmove.com, as in rings of power, rop. And then to send us uh, lore related questions, um, you're going to send that to secondage at baldmove.com. And if you, if that's confusing to you, send it to one of them and we'll figure it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll handle it. Just yeah, get us the feedback one way or the other. Obviously, we have the Discord. Obviously, we have Twitter at the Lorehounds. Um, I am going to be missing episodes four through seven. I'm, I'm going to be out on a, a trip uh, internationally, uh, so I'm not. And we didn't get screener access, so I'm not going to be able to uh, to join in. So we've got uh, Jim and Aaron are going to alternate hot seat uh, with you, right? That's right. That's right. And I've got a couple interviews lined up too. We're going to have uh, a, a returning guest. Marilyn Pequila yeah, on one of Marilyn's our episodes. Great. I'm not sure which one, but it, but we'll keep you posted. Okay. And then we're also going to have another guest, which I'm not ready to share yet, but mm. uh, look forward to it. Okay. That's awesome. Great. All right, John. Well, congratulations for making it this far in the marathon that is Rings of Power. Um, this is really great lore stuff. I hope everybody enjoys it. Again, um, send us your feedback. Uh, find us on the Discord. All right. Thanks, David. Talk to you soon, John. The Second Age Podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Move. You can send questions and feedback about this podcast to secondage at baldmove.com. For more Rings of Power content, subscribe to Dug Too Deep on your favorite podcast app. Ad-free versions of this and all other Bald Move podcasts can be yours by going to patreon.com slash baldmove. Check the show notes for reading recommendations and more info. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.